My name is Tom Newkirk, and it's my pleasure to speak this afternoon with uh, <clears throat> my good friend Nancy Atwell, uh, who is the author of In the Middle, a groundbreaking book about teaching literacy at the middle school level that won the uh, David Russell Award, the Mina Shaughnessy Award, and really uh, established a new way of teaching <clears throat> reading and writing at the middle school level. She's the author of numerous books. Uh, recently, uh, The Reading Zone, which was uh, chosen by Instructor Magazine as one of the 12 most significant books of the last decade. She's the founder and teach, teaches 7th and 8th grade at the Center for Teaching and Learning in Edgecombe, Maine, um, where she's been since 1990. Um, and it's a great, my great pleasure to um, have this podcast for Heinemann with you, Nancy. Well, it's my great pleasure to talk to you, Tom. Uh, I um, am so thrilled about holding on to good ideas in a time of bad ones. It's my new favorite book about literacy instruction and, and um the life of a, of a thinking teacher. And as I think I told you, it's the next book that the teachers at my school are going to read together and talk about. So this will be you know, good practice for me to engage in that conversation with them because I have a lot to say about it and um, a lot to appreciate about it. It's, um, it's a terrific book and uh, such an invitation to look again at what we do as a profession and, and not and not near some sort of mere technology but but as um, as a kind of act of authoring um, with all the creativity and thoughtfulness that that implies it, it's going to be um, a great discussion I know um, at the Center for Teaching and Learning I wish you could be around for it well I wish I could too and uh, but I get a kind of a for, free um, initial taste of it being able to ask you some questions about your work and your the ideas that you've kind of fought for for a long time, and I wonder if I could start by uh, <clears throat> asking you to go back to, what, maybe 1985, about 86, uh, um, when you were writing, probably even earlier than that, when you were <clears throat> writing the first edition of In the Middle. Um, so my question is, what were the core principles for you at that time that, that you were, you set that book upon that you, re you know, that were important for you that, uh, that are still important for you, that, well, I think that um, the core principles were um, a sort of mantra that had been expressed by Mary Ellen Jacoby, and that when we talked about kids needing time, response, and ownership as both writers and readers, um, and time meaning time in school, you know, that the priority activities in um, good teaching of writing and reading should be writing and reading rather than listening to the teacher, you know, talk to the whole class extensively about writing and reading, and that kids should get response during the acts of writing and reading, not at the end when it was too late for our advice to be practical or useful. And then there was that onerous idea of ownership, which um, I think uh, I think was a way of freeing ourselves not to be directive in terms of the kinds of choices that kids made as writers and readers. We almost needed to handicap ourselves by saying kids made all the choices of everything all the time um, and that teachers were kind of mute observers to see what children would do intuitively when they had ownership of their writing and reading. And and for me that was necessary. I had to step back um, and abandon control in order to see or at least to get a glimmer of what was possible for kids to, to see what I might begin to expect of kids when they were choosing their own books and developing their own ideas for writing but I think it implied um, that kids were on their own 
And I think for a lot of teachers, it still does, especially, for example, in terms of what happens at conferences between writers and their teachers. So the, the core ideas of um, time and response are as strong as they ever were for me. You know, I, I'm still beating myself up all the time that I'm talking too much and that the kids aren't having um, every minute that I can squeeze out of every day for them to be engaged in their own reading and their own writing. And I'm still madly circulating around the classrooms, just stopping and chatting with as many kids as I can every day. But I'm fonder now of the phrase responsibility, which is a word you suggested to me years ago, um, rather than ownership, or, or even intentionality, that kids figure out uh, what matters to them, and they take responsibility you know, for acting on those intentions, as opposed to just be thrown into the pool, and let's see what they can figure out on their own. I, I spend a lot of time when I'm um, confused about issues like that, imagining if math teachers ever had conversations about uh, theories like ownership. And I doubt they do. I, I'm pretty sure that if they see a child struggling with something, they show the child some potential solutions to that problem. Um, and uh, I think maybe at the beginning I didn't have very many potential solutions as a writing teacher or a reading teacher, and, and that was one of the problems. But as I've learned from kids, as I've observed um, over all these years, you know, I, I have some ideas. You know, you you talked about the kinds of things that we need to do to unclutter the curriculum, and that um, instruction is something that kids do need. They do need demonstrations and practice and feedback, but they need some instruction too. And it seems to me to go back to, you know, I'm thinking of all the things I learned from you at the time. Um, and I'm thinking about Malcolm Gladwell's new book on outliers, oh, and, and and he talks about like 10,000 hours, just the amount of time kids need to be immersed in something to be good at it. And it seemed to me like looking at your classrooms, I think you had that idea early on too that that there's this kind of continued work with reading and writing, just this this volume that kids need to if they're going to become good at it, and and they really weren't getting it at that time. Um, I don't know if you have any uh, reaction to that, but it seems to you you had that idea early on. I, and and I, I think it had a lot to do with um, uh, the fact that my students are adolescents, and they, they tend to be more demanding. I mean, they tend to be freer with their demands of a teacher than kids are at, uh, at other levels. Mm -hmm. you know, smart enough that they can articulate what they want um, or what they need, and um, pretty nervy about asking for it. And they were consistently asking for more time to write in the way that I was finally letting them write and more time to read in the way that I was letting them read. You know, they wanted, they, you know, I, I've just come, you know, if I had to add any two words to the mantra, they would be stories and self-expression. You know, they just wanted lots more opportunities to, to get lost in great stories, and they wanted lots more time uh, to express themselves and, and all the ways that my kids do that and all the genres they do that. And... Um, I, I, I have I have really enjoyed Outliers. You know, I have you know major doubts about some of his claims, but I've also you know found um, you know whole pages where I've you know underlined every word because it, it seems so true of um, the, the extensive amounts of practice that that my kids need to not only get good at writing and reading, but to figure out what writing and reading are good for. You know, my 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 only numbers when I talk about um, my students' work 
uh, are the numbers of the books that they've read in an average year or the number of pieces they've finished in an average year. And last year it was uh, 53 books and 23 pieces of writing. I mean, you know, fully drafted, evolved texts that are edited and, and publishable, and many of them are published. You know, it, and you know, that's certainly the message of Murray's work in terms of writing, but then the message of everybody's work in terms of reading. It's, it's those kinds of um, quantity-engaged experiences that lead kids to both skill and fluency, but also um, a real passion for their own literacy. Well, you mentioned that, that you're, you're prompted by this, by that, you know, the seventh, eighth grade, that in the middle group, but... But what happens in high school then? Isn't isn't there this same desire? You know, does it die? I mean, because it seems to me uh, a lot of kids in high school don't get this and don't get anything close to it. Well, I think it goes underground because um, kids are given um, a new message about their literacy, and it has to do with, I think, hoop jumping. Um, and you jump through these ho hoops, and you get to be in honors English, and you jump through these hoops, and you get to be in AP English, and you jump through these hoops, and um, this is what they're looking for in college. And, of course, both of us have had the experience of our kids graduating from high school and going on to college and taking English classes where nothing that they learned was going to be expected of them in high school. I'm sorry, in college from high school teachers was expected of them, and, in fact, you know, their university instructors were spending a lot of time trying to, you know, rid their minds, the kids' minds, of the, you know, horrible formulaic stereotypes of um, authentic writing and reading that they picked up in high school. I, I, it's, it's, the, it's the conundrum of my profession that the very people who went into this field, writing and reading, the teaching of English, um, because I'm assuming they love writing and reading, or at least they love literature, are the people who erect the, the, the biggest and most impervious roadblocks. Um, my students have learned uh, to just you know, go underground and be quiet for four years and wait out high school, because when they get to college, they're going to be able to have those same kinds of uh, pleasurable, intentional, satisfying experiences again. Uh, I don't know what, I'm waiting for the high school in the middle. I'm still waiting for that book for the person who says, it doesn't have to be this way, and here's practically the way I've organized it so that um, these kids are having instruction that's designed for who they are and, and what, what, they're, what really is going to happen to them as college students or as, as people who, who don't go on to uh, post-secondary school but are going to have other kinds of experiences as literate grown-ups. Um, I would I would love for there to be conversations um, about the the you know the incredible gap between what those kids who those kids are as the as the um, the population of American students who are closest to adulthood who you know who just should be getting huge tastes of the real thing and all its variety and instead are given this um, just this this stunted and unsatisfying and um, uh, piecemeal, contact-stripped version of writing and reading, and always, always, you know, with, with the um, uh, instruction from teachers that this is going to be good for them, that this is what they need, that this is what's going to be required from now on, when, when it, 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 it's not at all. Well, I would agree with that. I was speaking of somebody who teaches, teaches at the college, and I was wondering, do you think, particularly in terms of reading, that 
that there's a kind of elitism, that a belief that there's certain kinds of reading, certain kinds of texts that are, you know, humanizing and, you know, gratifying. And, and a lot of what students would pick don't fit that, that kind of a high echelon of reading that we should, that high school should, should focus on. Absolutely. I mean, is it, maybe a fancy way of saying snob, you know, is, is there kind of snobbishness that's part of this? I think the young adult novel doesn't exist in most, most high schools. Um, I think it's a genre that uh, many high school teachers uh, don't know um, and, and, and um, certainly you know, don't give any credibility to. And, and, and there's a whole generation now of authors, uh, mostly novelists, who I think are writing brilliantly for the kids at, 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 this, at this age. Um, you know, just you know, some, some of the finest, most sensitive, you know, beautifully crafted prose about teenagers' ideas and relationships. And, um, these, you know, these are books that not only exemplify good writing, but also these are books that can show kids all different kinds of ways that they can grow up or that they can approach the experiences of growing up. And, and uh, they're, they're, they're not in the curriculum and they're not in classrooms and by and large, there aren't even classroom libraries. So um, the kids who are finding those books are the kids who are lucky enough to find them on their own for the most part. Um, so I'm trying to think if you would, if you would like, one of my questions is if you would <clears throat> create like in-service for teachers or, or pre-service or develop teacher <clears throat> You know, if you were starting with a blank slate and could create preparation for teachers and in-service for teachers, you know, disregarding kind of what's already there, what would you do to help teachers be able to teach in the way that that you're 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 advocating? Because it, it seems to me that the structure now for how teachers are prepared doesn't doesn't do the job. It wouldn't wouldn't take them to the point that you'd like them to be, or even anywhere close. Well, I think you know an obvious thing, and something that you mentioned in your book, would be to require a course in adolescent literature. You know that that um, that adults who don't know the pleasures of those books and and, and the seriousness uh, of the writing you know, need that kind of exposure. They 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 need to find out the the names of the people who are writing well for uh, readers at, at that age level, say at the high school age level. Um, and there's a body of work there that I think is important for anybody who's going into a classroom to know. But, but I also think um, you know, there, there, need to, there, need to be, there needs to be a different kind of conversation as part of pre-service or in-service. And that is, you know, if, if, if on, the, on the most basic level, if these are our kids, w how do we want them to feel about writing and reading and themselves as writers and readers? You know, what do we want them to come out of the experience of high school knowing and caring about? Um, you know, what are the skills of a, of a literate grown-up? You know, who's somebody who you know who's just um, a great writer and reader in terms of somebody who reads and writes a lot and gets satisfaction out of it? And to begin to have conversations about the, the, the nature of literacy in a satisfyingly literate adulthood as opposed to... Um, these these paradigms of um, you know of, of uh, honors English that don't really reflect anything. I mean, I, I would really ask people to think about what you know uh, 
double-entry journals or vocabulary study, certainly grammar study, um, you know, exclusively assigned writing topics, uh, you know, how, what those lead to in terms of um, any sort of, you know, real engagement or growth. And, and there's a body of research that, that shows that, that none of those do anything except waste kids' time in terms of taking time away from real acts of writing and reading. Um, I think I'd also um, look at the kinds of writing that would be valuable developmentally to people at the particular age that high school kids are. You know, the most important piece of writing that any of those kids is going to do is their college essay, which is essentially um, a, a you know, highly thematic memoir. And yet, they're not writing memoirs. They're not writing uh, personal writing in high school. Uh, um, uh, father of a student of mine who's an eighth grader now was at the local high school a couple of weeks ago. They had an open house of parents' night for the incoming eighth graders um, and their moms and dads. And um, you know, it was told point blank. You know, those those kids that come out of Nancy Atwell's classroom, you know, they can, you know, they can write creatively, but they can't write exposition. And the father looked at her and said, well, my son has been writing, you know, reviews and essays, you know, his whole time at CTL. You know, he's, he's, he's actually quite a strong essayist. And her response is, but they're not, it was classic, they're not five-paragraph essays with topic yeah. sentences, and that's the form that they have to know in high school. And, of course, this, this particular dad taught freshman composition at Princeton at one point in his career, and, 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 and her comments set his hair on fire because, his, he viewed his job as teaching kids to stop writing five-paragraph essays with topic sentences um, and to start to write about you know, their real concerns, which is what essayists do, um, and to use the writing to figure out what they thought as opposed to deliver some you know, uh, preset um, package of information in a, in a little formula. So I, I, would, I would also ask teachers to talk about if these are, you know, 14 to 17-year-old people contemplating adulthood, you know, what are the genres that will give them the best sense of how to be, um, you know, a, a responsible, productive, you know, passionately literate grown-up? And I would say absolutely writing about literature, you know, but, but finding, again, ways to write about it that reveal both the literature and, you know, the kid's response to it, how it makes them think differently about the world, but also memoir. And Tom, poetry. My daughter didn't read or write a poem in high school. And if there ever was a genre to help you figure out, you know, who you were and who you want to become, it's poetry. So I'd also start asking teachers to begin to look at the genres that will help kids become um, good good adults and all the ways that people, again, can be um, healthy and happy. And boy, I, I think both of us agree that literature has played a tremendous role in our own lives in terms of making us happy people. It's definitely true for me. I mean, every day, every day. Uh, you, when you talk to teachers about genre, in the way I think you were just explaining, <clears throat> sometimes I hear that, well, they need to they need to learn this formula before they can go on to the more complicated, supposedly realistic genres that they might they might have to try later on. That this is like a critical stepping stone uh, to get there. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that, uh, you know, but that's you know when I when I hear teachers argue for this formulaic writing, obviously it's you know for the test, but also that it's 
you know, you need to learn this kind of rigid structure before you can go on. I don't know if you've heard that argument and how you respond to it. I think that argument gets voiced in about 20 different ways. Um, that, you know, that kids need to learn grammar before form, they have, need to engage in formal grammar, grammar study before they can write effectively. That they need to, you know, be um, immersed in intensive phonics instruction. That's the stepping stone to be able to, you know, read fluently. I think it's, it, you know, it's a variation on those other arguments, and it's a cop out. I frankly think. Um, it's the sort of argument that teachers often make because they don't know what else to do. Um, and it's, it's the given, so it's the easiest thing. Um, and again, um, it has no, bears no relationship to how people learn anything, uh, including essay writing. You know, if you want kids to understand how to write good essays, you get a lot of good essays and have them tease out their elements. And that, that'll take you about two days. Um, and have them go inside essays and um, emerge, uh, emerge on the other side pretty much understanding what a good essay is as opposed to four years of writing five paragraph themes with topic sentences as some sort of preparation for then writing essays in college that don't look anything like that at all or work anything like that at all. You know, it's really interesting when my kids uh, read essays. I'll give them a packet of 10 or 12 you know, op-ed pieces from the Times or the Boston Globe, um, uh, essays from Sports Illustrated or Rolling Stone, and have them sit down and, and um, peel off what they see going on. And there are no topic sentences, you know, but there are this, there's this whole range of transitional phrases. Um, there aren't five paragraphs. They, there's like 8 to 13, I think is what they found the last time they did this. Um, uh, and then there's all kinds of evidence, and, and the essays aren't either informative or persuasive. Um, I think the other thing that drives me crazy very often about um, high school instruction is that it, it breaks writing up not into sort of forms of discourse, but these uh, genres that only exist in school. You, know, you don't read an essay in um, uh, Sports Illustrated and say, it was this informative or persuasive. You know, you, you read it to figure out, you know, what, what the, uh, what, what the essayist is trying to do here. And it's sometimes a combination of both and, um, and sometimes he's just doodling for his own amusement. I mean, there's just a whole range of ways that people approach essays. But, but, but again, getting back to the point of, of real world genres, I also think we need to say to teachers, if you can't find it in a library or a bookstore, why are we teaching it? You know, where did you ever find a book of compare-contrast essays? What, you know, what borders carries that? <laughs> you know, or book reports, you know, or acrostic poetry, or any of the school genres um, that we give kids instead of the real thing. And, and, and real essays are so satisfying for kids to write um, and, and actually fun because they have an axe to grind. And you, and you teach them how to, act, how to grind that particular axe. Um, as opposed to um, satisfying a formula. I mean, I know the SAT asks for it now. I teach it for a week before the SATs, you know, in the spring. Say, this is, this is, you know, here's a bunch of successful SAT essays. You know, here's a packet. Let's tease out what we see going on in these that got high marks from the SAT readers. Um, and here's another, you know, way of writing. It's going to satisfy a test company. You'll never have to do it again in your life. But let's name the elements and then try some ourselves, and then we can stop doing this and go back to the kinds of essays that you're going to be reading the whole rest of your life. I know Tolstoy has a quote that I've been trying to track down for a long time, but he something like, 
only the complex and human is easy. That that when you make something artificially easy, it actually becomes harder. Yeah. And that I think once when you give these formulas to make them work, <laughs> it's really almost impossible. And so the, 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 to simplify that way doesn't necessarily make it easier. It also it makes it more artificial and makes it harder. I mean, I, I think often that's the case with uh, you know ESL students when they're you know put in workbooks. It's supposed to make things easier for them. Where if they're asked to you know write about their lives, you know that's that's easier for them, even though it's maybe a, a, seems like a harder task. And and you know certainly one of my mentors all along has been Frank Smith, who, you know whose whose creed core is consistently. Why don't we teach in ways that make these things easy for kids? You know, mm-hmm. how, 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 how do we how do we invite kids into writing and reading in ways that make it easy um, instead of harder? And um, and again, I I think that there's um, uh, I think that there's some sense of purpose for some of the teachers, at least some that my daughter has had, about um, making it harder on purpose um, because that's going to make it an honors class. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, making it more complicated and arbitrary and difficult, uh, just for the sake of saying, well, this is a, this is a higher level of learning, a higher level, higher level of thinking. Okay, I want to move back a little bit now to to your your something you said earlier in in, in this conversation when you talked about, I think the authority of the teacher and using your authority in 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 a more um, systematic way or more, more rather than maybe backing off to, to kind of have confidence and that you have authority to, to teach to instruct I'd be interested if you could just talk a little bit about some maybe some examples or some ways in which <clears throat> you are more uh, kind of engaged in instruction maybe than you would have been in in um, say when you wrote the first edition of in the middle what what kinds of things do you would you do now that you wouldn't have done then well, um, I'd say this, that there's almost a, um, a balance between places where I'm, um, you know, more engaged in uh, instruction and then places where I'm um, less engaged in uh, sort of ritualized instruction. So I'm going to talk about the second first, and that is um, writing conferences. I know one of the things I'm thinking about as I'm, um, getting ready to do a third edition of In the Middle is the fact that I don't even think I want to call them conferences. I want to call them talks uh, or conversations or something that suggests that these are just a grown-up talking to a kid about some things the grown-up has learned. And in my case, I've been reading for you know 55 years, so there's some things I've learned in those 55 years of reading texts that I can um, you know point out to a kid in his own writing or suggest. Um, or ask them to consider. Uh, and I, I, I'm so worried that one of the reasons that uh, that the, the whole writing workshop approach um, hasn't been as um, consistently practiced as it was, you know, 20 years ago is that people got discouraged by conferences. I know the paper load's a big one, but I also think people never felt that they were doing conferences right. Um, there was almost a... Um, uh, you know, a sort of religious um, uh, sense of ritual that um, uh, you know was was laid over top of what what happens in those interactions, and um, you know, I have twenty kids, and I'm, I'm I'm 
easily able to see 20 kids every day. Um, a, because I'm I'm having um, you know much more direct, sort of efficient, productive talks, conversations. But also because I'm seeing the kids every day, I'm not building from ground zero. I'm building on what happened the day before and the day before and the day before, which of course is um, you know, a, a, a built-in then sense of context. So it's quicker. It's quicker when I do sit down with the kid. So that's one of the things I'm thinking about in terms of another edition of In the Middle. Um, that, that that those are that those are conversations where you know an adult drops in and says, you know, show me what you've got. You know, what are you trying to do here? Um, well, think about this or think about that. I'll come back. It, it's, it's as simple as that. And, 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 and you know, as, as an addendum, with a fair amount of praise, which I know is something else that was um, not supposed to be part of the conference dynamic, but um, uh, I, I, I just know that, um, you know, it, it, we're human beings and we, and we like to know somebody heard our voices when we're writing and somebody else is reading it. Um, and it's something that, I know was 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 legislated against in the early uh, teaching about writing conferences, and I and I want to make sure teachers know that um, you know that our kids need to know when in our experiences as readers they've touched a chord with us, and um, so that's that's the thinking I'm doing about those conversations. In terms of the instruction, when I started teaching. Um, in the workshop, and even like in the first edition of In the Middle, I really had no expectations for what was going to happen in that class, except that kids were going to be choosing their own topics and I was going to be helping them in the process instead of writing comments on their papers at the end. And then the next year I had like four expectations and I wrote them up and handed it out to the kids, you know, the first week of school. And now I have so many expectations that it looks like it's the smallest point type that you can use and get them all on one page still. And and the difference is, um, you know, I've learned how much kids can do, but I also know, I mean, there's a shadow document to that list of my expectations. It's also that I know now what I can do to help. So when I say to kids, I expect you're going to write um, an essay, a review, a short story, a memoir, three to five poems, you know, a parody. Uh, gifts of writing this year. That, that's a hard and fast expectation. I also know I'm going to give lessons um, that will uh, help them enter those genres and understand how they work and also want to enter them and understand how they work. Um, the, the, you know, at the beginning there were you know, like three rules for writing workshop. Now again it's like there's 27 in there and they're just filling a page in the smallest point type. Uh, because I know for example um, if, for example, if my kids don't print what they've written on the computer every two days and walk away from the computer with their paper in their hands, they're really not going to have a sense of, of, of the coherence of the draft, and they're also not going to be able to um, to switch perspective and read it like writers. Um, they're just going to be uh, taking in what's on the screen instead of walking away and saying, now as a critic, sitting over here, away from the computer with this potential piece of literature in my hand, what needs to happen to it so that it will become more literary. And then, of course, what they need to see is what somebody does to make a piece of writing more literary. And I think um, more than ever, I show kids what I do when I write. And I, I know in the last edition of In the Middle, I talked about doing that um, as 
writing protocols, writing aloud the way Murray used to do at conferences. But what I discovered is that it was a, it, no matter how hard I tried, it was a stunted version because of that inner language being so saturated so fast um, that I couldn't ever really talk about what I was doing as I was doing it. So now I bring in drafts and um, and show them to them. You know, when, when teachers talk about kids not revising, they need to see it. And um, so early on and right through the school year, I'll continuously bring in drafts and stuff that I'm working on so that again and again they get to see what it looks like when somebody is working toward meaning. And I'll, and I'll give kids those pieces, uh, those drafts to take home and ask them to come up with questions they have for me about the choices that I made um, because I want them to understand that really it's just generating and choosing and, and hoping for a good surprise every once in a while. And um, for them to ask questions about you know, the choices that I made from what I gener generated, but also to see how much is there on the page. And, and then, you know, I think that there's a lot to be said for uh, you know, switching gears dramatically for, for group instruction in the conventions that really do make a difference. You know, there are a handful of comma, handful of comma rules that if you know them, they pretty much cover the essential bases. There's a handful of rules about how you can write numbers and text and how you can't. Um, you know, th there are a couple of places my kids uh, mess up with periods. So to also be observant about the particular kinds of mistakes that they're making and and to you know teach lessons in those. But, you know, the, the week before last I taught uh, about how um, you know words that end in silent E keep the silent E before they add um, uh, uh, suffix that's, that, that starts with a consonant. So like, um, you know, late becomes lately. And it was like, you know, <laughs> kids are saying, this is a great lesson. I, I, this works all the time. You know, there's like three exceptions. But they could, they could consistently apply it. And so words that they had been misspelling consistently, like, like definitely, um, they could just do D finite, which is their little mnemonic, and put on the LY and say, it works. This really works. This, you know, I'm excited about this. You know, the the, the number one mini lesson that they name um, every year is about pronoun usage. When it's a when it's a, uh, a a compound subject or object like, you know, Tom and I or Tom and me. You know, what are some tricks for knowing when is it I and when is it me? Because they want to get that stuff right. So. So there's a whole range of, of lessons, and some of them have to do with craft and showing them my writing, um, and some of them have to do with finding language for craft issues that'll take nuanced things, um, nuanced ideas, and make them um, a, a, a more apparent for young kids. Some of them are conventions, and, and, and a lot of them are um, invitations to develop topics. So they always have tons of material. So uh, you know, it's nev there's never a kid who says after the first day of school, I don't know what to write about, because they have these pages and pages and pages of ideas uh, in their handbooks. So basically, again, it's, it's, it's thinking about that list of tough expectations that I give them and understanding that, um, that I'm going to teach in such, way, in such a way that, that they can meet every one of those expectations, that that's my job in the classroom. Well, Nancy, it's been great talking to you this afternoon. I want to thank you for your insights on this topic and uh, wish you the best in your own important work. Thanks, Nancy.